know I've felt revived. Uh, you know, I told Preacher Bill last week that I had something small or a small thought. And uh, I guess the Lord knows that I needed more time because ever since last week, this just been building and building. I'm going to do a lot of reading tonight, if y'all bear with me. Uh, I ain't got a watch on, so when y'all get there and listen to me, just tell me and I'll sit down. <laughs> uh, we're going to start out in 2 Samuel verse uh, or chapter 7. Uh, but a thought on my mind uh, was uh, the prophet Nathan, and I, I told Preacher Bill this story a couple weeks ago. Uh, the prophet Nathan, when he went and confronted David about his sin, and uh, how uh, how bold Nathan was to stand and look at the king and say, "Thou art the man. Thou art the man." But that's the thought, and it's kind of grew from there. And uh, so, in studying this and listening to some sermons, I've read some commentaries. There's so many different angles to to look at this scripture from, and. Uh, I didn't know which way to go with it, and so I just tried to do a general, a generalization of, of all of it. So uh, let's start there in uh, chapter 7. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth in cur within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye, why build ye not me in house of cedar? Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of the bowels, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And here's the part I really want to get to in chapter 7. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, 
whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. I'm going to stop there in chapter 7. But the one thing I want you all to take away from this is kind of Nathan's relationship with David. Uh, It was a loving relationship, but Nathan was his prophet. And in chapter 7, Nathan come bearing good news to David. That God has promised him to go tell David and promised him he's going to set up his kingdom. Uh, that he would be his father and he shall be like his son. So let's go over to uh, 2 Samuel 11. And this is the story of uh, David and Bathsheba and I just quickly want to go down through here and recap for, I know everybody's probably read this and has heard the story. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbi. But David tarried still at Jerusalem and it came to pass on an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come to David, or come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all his servants of his lord and went not down to his own house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today, also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie in his bed with his servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass, when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. 
So out of 2 Samuel here, uh, chapter 11, we see David's sin. We see him try to cover up his sin. Yeah. Same things that we do. Uh, he slept He slept here with Bathsheba, and now she's pregnant. And uh, he calls Uriah in after he makes the mistake, or he, he commits the sin, he calls Uriah in, he tells him. He says, go home, eat and drink, lie with your wife. But Uriah refuses because Uriah is an honorable man. It was customary in battle times uh, that the men didn't go home to their wives. They, they stayed out in the battlefield, and even when they come in for a short while, they still didn't go to their homes. So that's why all the men of Joab and, and all the soldiers were asleep out in the tents in the field. And Joab didn't feel it was right to go home to his wife when nobody else could. So when that didn't work, then David got him drunk. But that didn't work either because Uriah was an honorable man. He went back out there and he slept in the field with his soldiers. So then he tells Joab, says, on down a little bit further, he tells him, he says, Joab, not to let this be evil in his sight and let it not despise thee when Joab sent Uriah out. Uh, that's in verse 25. But the biggest thing right there in verse 11 is uh, verse 27. And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's a big statement. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now you've seen Nathan back there in chapter 7 bringing good news. I'm going to set my kingdom up with David. I'm going to treat him different. And I want you to think about that. Different than the way he treated Saul. Uh, how he rejected Saul. But he made a promise, a covenant, through Nathan to David to restore David and restore his kingdom. So let's start reading verse 12, or chapter 12 there. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David... And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, it did drink of his own cup, and it lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I want you to think about everything David said right there when, when he's telling Nathan this. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. 
Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with the wife, thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. That's another big statement. The Lord has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So in this, uh, this 12th chapter, we'll go back up to the beginning of it there. And Nathan's story, uh, what, he's, what he's telling David, uh, we don't know here because it's, there's no sure way to know if this was true because, and it very well could have been a true story. Uh, it was commonplace for kings and judges to adjudicate over situations that were going on. And this was something that would have been probably normal to David. Uh, when Nathan comes and tells him his story about this rich man taking this poor man's little ewe lamb. So we don't know if it's truth or parable. But anyway, I want you to kind of look there in uh, verse... Verse 3 of chapter 12. But the poor man had, had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him, and with his children, it did eat of his own meat, drink of his own cup, and it lay in his bosom. Well, if you go back to chapter 7, what did he tell Uriah to do? I think Nathan probably, or the Lord, talking through Nathan, was probably trying to give David a hint. He told Uriah to go back, eat of his meat, drink of his cup, and lie with his wife. So I kind of thought that was that was pretty amazing right there in the story. This is brought up again, just as he had told Uriah. Biggest thing, if you go back to verse 27 of chapter 11, it said it displeased the Lord. So I want you to think about the reproof and the rebuke uh, of Nathan here. He says, thou art the man. Uh, we often have a hard time especially this day and age, looking at somebody and telling them we're living in sin. Uh, most of the time we're, we're challenged with, well, we can't offend people. We can't say anything against people. You're judging me. You're, you're kind of battled with this, this whole thing when you tell somebody you're living in sin. But the audacity of Nathan and, and him just having no fear to confront the King David. I thought that was pretty astounding. But I think the Lord wants us to confront sin the same way. Although, although we're not a prophet, we are disciples of Christ. 
And when we see somebody we love and see them, we should tell them. Uh, that's what love is. We want to see, see our loved ones saved. You know, we can't just brush that off and just go on. That's a hateful thing to do. <laughs> it's right the opposite of love. But he comes on down there and he says, uh, he despised the command of the Lord. Nathan talking about David there. He said he despised the command, the word of the Lord. In Romans 8, Preacher Bill uh, talked about it maybe last uh, Sunday and then, and then Butch had talked about it a couple weeks back in Romans 8, that the carnal mind is enmity against God. Uh, and that's, that's what we are by nature. Uh, sin ain't something we do, it's what we are. And that's, that's that conviction power that, that God does in our heart. We see that. This is what I am, and I can't do nothing about it. But cry out to Jesus in repentance and cling to the cross. The other thing, come on down there to... Uh, David's anger. Uh, we were talking about that there just a minute ago. Said it greatly kindled against the man. We like to see justice done. We watch movies. We watch TV. We see the bad guy do something wrong to the good guy. And we want to see the good guy go get him. We love to see. And that's what 90% of the TV shows and 90% of movies were based on is the bad guy versus the good guy and somebody getting justice. We've been taught up, brought up in that all our lives. But we're really starting to have a problem with it when that finger turns around and points at us. And that's what Nathan did by telling David this story and then looking at him square in the eye and saying, you are the man. It's hard to accept when, when that justice comes to our house and knocks on our door. But I want you to notice when it happened, how David handled it. And it was just sheer repentance. He said nothing more than I have sinned against the Lord. That's as humble and as lowly and as meek. Three words, I have sinned, or four or five words there, I have sinned against the Lord. But Nathan looks at him and he says, The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt, thou shalt not die. The grace and mercy that's in that statement. When we come up here and we hit this altar, simply saying, God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. And then for, for him to answer us and say, he has put our sin away. When all we deserved was to die and hell. That's all that he owes any of us. But I want you to think about the restoration. Uh, we must remember God's promise when we go back to chapter 7. And I'm sure at this time, David had repentance, but he also had faith right here. He had faith knowing that God made him a promise. Back in chapter 7, when Nathan went to him the first time, that he would restore him. He was going to chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the men of children or children of men. But there would be chastening, but there would be forgiveness. There would be mercy. There would be grace, and there would be restoration. He was going to restore him. 
He said that the sword would never, that's the next thing I was going to say. He said the sword would never depart from thy house. Well, if you read on in the further chapters, what happened to David? Well, one, the child, the first child that he bore with Bathsheba died. And praise God, the second one that was born was Solomon. So we can praise God for that. But he told him he was going to die. That's a part of God people don't like to think about or accept anymore. Uh, I read one commentary on this about Bathsheba. Well, given her, situa her situation in this whole thing, more than likely from what we read, was it consensual or not? I don't know. But wasn't it punishment to her? It was her child too. Like I said, this is this is... Not the God that's popular to people anymore. A God of judgment, a God of wrath, a God that is just and holy no matter what our human minds think of him. But what happened to, to David the rest of his life? He said he wouldn't, the sword would never leave his house. Well, what happened with Amon or Amnon? Amnon rapes his sister Tamir. Then Absalom kills Amnon. If I'm saying that right, Amnon, I believe is how you pronounce it. And he kills him. And then Absalom winds up committing adultery with David's wives. Going back to the scriptures there, he said, what you did was right here in secret. But I'm going to give your wives to your neighbor, which wound up being Absalom, in broad daylight, right out here in the sun. Everybody's going to see it. So everything that David did, trying to cover up his sins, and everything that he done in the dark, God brought every bit of it to light. No matter what extent it was, he went to to cover it up. Do what, Bill? Sin find it's going to find you out, and everybody's going to know. The Lord told him they jumped from his own house. Yep, and it did. And it stayed there. It stayed there. And it just, it just keeps going. And it, it went on all of David's life. It, it never stopped. But God showed mercy in him to not kill him because that's what he, what he earned. But I want you to think about that too. The two, he broke about five of the command, ten commandments and, and all of what he done. But the two biggest ones we think of is murder and adultery. Well, we look at our own life and we say, oh, I ain't never killed nobody. I ain't never cheated on my spouse. But if you go to Matthew 5, what does it say? On the Sermon on the Mount. He says, he that is, looks upon a woman with lust in his eyes committed adultery in his heart. If a man hateth his brother, he's murdered. And we're all guilty of those. Like I said, we don't like it when that finger comes back to us. And this, this, and that's why I want to share this. This whole thing just kept beating me from every side. But how blessed is His grace and mercy! I have put thy sins away; thou shalt not die. But you know, Jamie, I thought about it too. Right there, he uh, probably thought when they told him that that thou shalt not die, that everything was going to be so 
through selling, but it wasn't. Mm. And you know, everything he went through, <coughs> he may have that may have been the Lord's punishment right there that he let him live through see all of that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh one other thing, and this is this is something else that another attribute of God that is often overlooked. If you look at what Saul did and you look at what David did, and our earthly minds, who do we think was worse? He seemed fit to restore David. And he seemed fit to reject Saul. But I want you to go back to uh, 1 Samuel 15 there. And I'm going to read through that a little bit. Let's look at what Saul did. Uh, 1 Samuel 15. We're reaping what we sowed. I mean... Person by person and generation by generation, we're reaping what we sow, and it's all because of sin. First uh, Samuel 15. Sorry, I didn't get, get all the way back there. Just read it because I can't hit everything here. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto me the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, Camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get ye down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness unto the children of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So there's one thing he'd done wrong. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best sheep and the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and refused that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be my king, for he has turned back from following me, and have not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, and this is, you just see a sense of humor in Samuel right here. 
And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So there's mistake number two. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou was little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil. Now he's, now he's going to go back and he's going to blame the people. Who's, who was the people under command? Who was, who was commanding the people? But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the chief of things which should have utterly been destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and hearken than the fat of rams. Now remember that, that verse. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. So what did, what did Saul do? He, you come on down and Saul says, I sinned. That's the same thing David said. Yeah, Saul tried to explain it away, and he tried to justify himself. Several times over, he tried to blame somebody else but himself. But in the end, he looked up at Samuel and he said, I have sinned. The other side of it is, think about how they brought all these fatlings and the oxen, the sheep, and everything back for burnt offering and sacrifice. If you go over into uh, Psalms 51, and everybody knows that I ain't going to read it, but that's the lamentation of David, his repentance to God. And if you read in Psalm 32, you kind of see a little bit of what happened behind the scene before he was confronted by Nathan, how the guilt was eating him alive. But he told the Lord, he said, you find no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. But what did he say? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's where repentance is found. It's not in excuses. It's not in justifying it. It's a contrite heart and a broken spirit Amen. just to look at God and say, I have sinned. But talking about that difference between Saul and David, wasn't a whole lot. I want you to go to Romans 9, 15, 18, and I'll stop with this. We'll start at verse 15. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, 
nor him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, I have raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will, have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. That's the only thing I can find anywhere to explain that. God's going to have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. He's God. He's not, he's not out here on the street corner stumping for votes. He don't need my vote. don't need y'all's vote. He's God. We're not going to understand it all. But praise his name for his grace and mercy. Getting what you don't deserve. <laughs> That's exactly right. 